Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Today, we're pulling one of our favorite episodes from the archives because we believe some stories need to be heard more than once. Enjoy. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. I'll bet right now many of you are thinking about your physical fitness in the new year. I know I am. It's a common goal to, quote, get into the best shape of your life whenever January rolls around. But what about your mental fitness, given all the pressures and toxicity of modern life today? I'm your host, Bob Williams, where I try to find the most interesting people doing the most fascinating work right here in the greater Sarasota area. I also believe if you really want to understand the community you live in and appreciate it all, all has to offer, then listening to each other's stories is an absolute must. I'm very pleased to welcome today Denise Schonwald, author, registered nurse, and nationally licensed mental health counselor. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Denise, why she made the transition from registered nurse to licensed mental health counselor, excerpts from her book, Healing Your Body by Mastering Your Mind, two tips to follow to improve your mental health in the new year, who should reach out to Denise, and much, much more. I'm so glad you tuned in today. As always, it's my hope that you will listen, that you'll learn, but most importantly, connect. Denise Seanwald, registered nurse and licensed mental health counselor. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you. Did I get your name right? You did. You did. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, we, we were we were talking a little bit before I hit record. I had uh, Dimitri Kostanopoulos uh, a few episodes ago, and I said, but that was a tough name to learn. Uh, and so uh, uh, hopefully I, I try and get all my, my guest names right before we go live here. But anyways, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Bob. Thank you. You bet. Well, it's my favorite questions to ask all my guests, and that is, what's one thing that most people don't know about Denise? Well, as you already mentioned, I'm a nurse and also a therapist, but one thing that many people probably wouldn't predict about me, I'm fairly tall and slender, but I box three times a week. I go to Title I Boxing, and I box, and when I tell people that I do that, it usually raises a couple eyebrows because I don't look like the boxing type. My body doesn't, and usually they wouldn't think a counselor would be a boxer, but it's something that I really enjoy, and it's wonderful for stress relief. 
That is great because the person who actually referred you to me is Chris Williams at Agento. He was a guest at an earlier episode, and he is a practitioner of the art of pugilism, which is the formal name of boxing. So, so from one boxer to the other, did you happen to meet Chris in the gym or? No, but when I did meet him, he obviously looks like a boxer. He's very fit and so forth. But when you would look at me, I don't know that you would guess that I also box. That's funny. Well, trust me, I wouldn't mess with Chris. And fortunately, he has a very nice disposition. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, So, but I'm glad to call him a friend. So, well, that's great. Well, once again, I'm looking forward to getting into it because it, as we were talking again before I hit record, uh, you being a licensed mental health counselor, there's a lot of stress that's hitting, I, you know, I don't know the world right now, certainly in the United States, certainly uh, that I see around me. So it's really timely to have you on the show, particularly now as we're recording this, you know, on January 3rd, beginning of a new year. And there's a lot of people out there, including myself. We set our goals. We have great optimism going forward. But of course, we are bringing the past year with us, past several years with us. You know, maybe there are folks out there that are dealing with financial issues. I mean, my goodness, you know, we just got hit with a hurricane south of of Sarasota. There, there's hangovers from that here locally. So I'm really interested in getting into some of the tools and techniques that you use to to counsel people and to coach people on how to deal with certain issues in life. But um, I do want to get some of the broad strokes background that you have because you started off as an ICU nurse. You worked in that industry for a long period of time, which is kind of the physical. And then you decide to go into the mental health counseling industry. So tell us about that journey that that brought you to where you are today. I loved, first of all, I loved working in critical care. It, it was challenging. It was being able to offer people compassion and healing, not only medically with the tools that we had, you know, and equipment, but also just to sort of be there to be supportive and to offer people comfort and care. And I loved, I love that. But as many people who are in medicine know, medicine is a grind. It's working at night. It's being on call. It's, it, it's certainly physically very demanding. And as I started to get older, I knew that probably a long-term career in nursing was probably not going to be the best choice for me. But I really enjoyed working with people and understanding why the body was doing what it was doing. And mental health for me just seemed to be a, the best bridge to do something to continue to diagnose and work in medicine without the wear and tear on the body that medicine or nursing can bring. You mentioned, and, I, and we're going to talk about your book here because you, you have a very interesting book called Healing Your Body by Mastering Your Mind. But you mentioned you'd always had an interest in psychology. Where did that come from? To me, it's very interesting to understand why people do what they do. We sometimes will blame it on, oh, I'm from this area of the country, and that's why I act the way that I do, or that's how my family handles problems. But what actually happens is our habits and our behaviors and even our uh, tendencies are a way that the body tries to come back into balance. We look for ease to do different things, whether we've got a hot temper or whether we drink too much. And to me, it was always fascinating. Like, why does that happen? Why do people, why does one person pick 
one over the other. And I always enjoyed it with intensive care. Certainly when someone is sick, it brings up a lot of issues, family issues, a lot of tension. There's a lot of stress. And as much as I helped people, you know, with trying to get better physically with medicine, I also try to nurture everyone's mentally and psychologically because certainly it's, it's a lot of stress and trauma. And I just loved it. I find that fascinating that you loved it because certainly when you're dealing with that, that puts a lot of stress on you as well. How did you deal with it? How did you deal with it as a nurse at the time? And this is one of the things I think with every profession where we, we have to think about burnout when we're helping someone, whether it's with computers or in, in my case with intensive care, people are stressed. They're frustrated. And that energy is a very pulling energy which is why when we walk away from sometimes a really difficult task or project, we're absolutely exhausted. What we don't do as well as we should is do things to mindfully sort of replenish with self-care, hobbies, and so forth. And if we don't do that, we tend to go to things that are not so good for us. Smoking, shopping, drinking, eating, bodies trying to feel a little bit better because we've just sort of spent more than we have replenished as far as energy. I I wonder if a lot of this is just living in Western society, because what I find fascinating about your journey is you started out as a nurse, which deals primarily with the physical in Western medicine. And it seems to, to me that in this part of the world, we have a tendency to try and compartmentalize certain aspects of our lives. I don't know if that's a hangover from the industrial revolution, but uh, it's it's interesting. If, if you go back on my podcast, episode number four, I had Dr. Victoria Andersia on and she traditionally trained physician, but she was looking for different modalities as well, because like you, she was dealing with stress in her life. And she, she of course found that, you know, medication and cutting, which is typically what we do in this part of the world was not going to solve her problems. And so she, I think, went to, is it Dr. Wheel or Dr. Weil out of Arizona? But but he, pulling in some of the West, or excuse me, some of the Eastern modalities that that are used in that part of the world. But I've, I've often felt that that is one of the, the downsides of living in, in kind of like this modern society in this first world uh, country that we live in. Yes. And with technology, now we're constantly on a device and so forth. COVID sort of manifested that even a little bit more. What we don't realize is that takes a lot of mental energy. And you might say, well, I I just scroll on Facebook. I'm not really even paying attention. You might not be, but the mind is very busy interpreting and processing. And we spend too much time on that. And we're not really getting rid of energy appropriately by doing other things. We tend to get on our devices as soon as we wake up in the morning, and it's quite a shock to the mind to all of a sudden have to be on. We were talking before about sympathetic nervous system. That's one way to jolt our bodies right into sympathetic first thing in the morning when we've barely had our first cup of coffee. Well, talk a little bit more about that sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. Uh, it's an, Those are new terms to me. It's in your book that I want to get into in just a second here, but you brought them up. So let's go in that direction. What are those systems and how do they work? 
First of all, it's important to understand that medicine has its own language, which I think is why it can be so intimidating. So we hear words like sympathetic, parasympathetic, and all of a sudden our eyes get you know, big and we start crossing our eyes and think, oh, I don't know, I don't understand this. But it's pretty simply simple to explain. The sympathetic system is when the body is on. We're busy doing things, we're stressed, we're paying bills, we're driving, whatever it is that we, and certainly when something scary comes or fear, we that sort of gets heightened. That's when we, we let go of a lot of adrenaline and epinephrine and, and we certainly go in, into sort of a higher gear. Most of our day, we're pretty busy. We're on our devices, we're maybe paying bills, we're stressed over the kids or whatever. Parasympathetic is when we just relax, we just be. And it's interesting to watch somebody who's sort of a person who goes constantly. They may sit down and go, ah. and what they the body's trying to do is to go into parasympathetic. One of the things that I've noticed when I work with people in my office is sometimes as we're sitting there and they're relaxing, they're listening to me, they'll start to yawn. And it's not that they're finding me boring. It's just that the body is, that tells me the body doesn't really have a lot of time to go into parasympathetic and it's taking advantage. We also go into parasympathetic when we drink alcohol, when we smoke, when we're maybe scrolling uh, Amazon to shop. It's, we, we get into sort of a relaxed state. And although they work very well, they're probably not the healthiest way of getting into parasympathetic. Many people have difficulty sleeping and they'll tell you that they can't shut their mind off because the mind is still in sympathetic and they really need to go into parasympathetic to rest and, and to go to sleep. That's fascinating because I, I want to talk about some techniques that you use to help people move from uh, sympathetic to parasympathetic and do it in a healthy way. Uh, but I, I'd like to move now. Let's talk a little bit more about your book. Um Healing Your Body by Mastering Your Mind. You wrote this in 2020. One of the things I took out of the introduction I thought was fascinating. You said the body has a way of communicating, and it's called energy. What does that mean? Yeah. Yes. And I, I'm an energy expert. And when I talk to people about energy, they'll say, I don't know anything about it. But I think that we know more than we think. If I took you into a grocery store, we stood at the door and people started to come in and we didn't know these people. And I would say, Bob, what do you, what are you getting from this person? You might say, I could tell she's very stressed. You don't know her, but you sort of get that vibe, maybe by your body language and, and so forth. Someone else may walk in and you go, they seem really happy and you know, happy to be out. And because we feel that we feel that lightness, we feel that energy. And the body communicates when it does what it does, whatever it's doing, it's trying to let us know or, or maybe create some awareness of what it needs. For example, what we go to, if let's say our tendency is to overeat when we're stressed. If we go to the cabinet three and four times after we've just had a meal, the body doesn't need food. You know, obviously the body's already had food, but the body needs ease. And we need to understand that the energy that we are showing is that the body is not in balance. That's, and I'm, and we, I might say, well, that's just what I do. Well, that's, it's doing it for a reason. We don't just do things and we're, we don't just randomly do things for no reason. The body is trying to communicate to us 
based on what we're doing or how we're acting. That's fascinating. So, so how does that differ from, you know, so much today is being written about habits. Um, I'm trying to think of, of the fellows. It's, it's, it's called, um, uh, oh, what's it called? Atomic Habits. James, I forget the guy's name, but anyways, it's, it's, it's a big book out there right now. It's talking about habits. So is that just simply an extension of you started down a path one time when you were stressed and uh, you took a bad habit or, or you know, can you correct that? Uh, well, yes. And then I'm going to give you a longer answer. Please. What happens when we experience emotions or we've had a past experience that we've never really processed and moved forward from? We block energy in the body. And I'll give you a one quick um way to think about this. If you're ever around someone and you don't quite trust them, you don't know why you just met them, they seem nice enough, you get sort of a gut feeling. And you may say to me or, or to your family, I don't know what it is, but there's something about him or her. I don't know that I I trust them. And it's sort of, a, then we sometimes feel guilty about that because, you know, we feel a little judgmental. But what has happened is the vibe that you have got received from that person has caused energy to block in the body. The body picked up. There's something about them that's not trustworthy. Trust is felt in the belly. So depending upon people's habits, which whatever they may be, and that's one of the things that I find out when I, when I first meet with someone, I ask them about hobbies. I ask them about smoking, drinking, spending, ask about religion. But what I'm trying to learn is where they're blocking energy in the body based on what they're doing. And then I sort of explore those emotions. When we struggle with blocking emotions in the belly, so not only trust is there, fear is there, overthinking will block energy in the belly, very sensitive to crit sensitivity to criticism will do that, lack of self-confidence. When we experience those emotions over and over and over, the body will typically do three things. Overeat, not eat, or drink alcohol. And so if somebody tells me that they, they drink fairly heavily, I'm understanding that this is how the body is trying to deal or come back to some sort of, they call it homeostasis or equilibrium with right. the alcohol, although that not being the best choice. That, no, but that, that's, that's fascinating. Now, in your book, you really talked that there are seven different, I guess, energy sources. Yes. Uh, called chakras. Now, mm -hmm. that term I've come across before, it really comes from Eastern philosophy or Eastern religion. How did you, I mean, because you really have a scientific background uh, going through yes. nursing school. And so you're really combining, again, like uh, Dr. Uh, Andersia, you're really kind of combining Eastern and Western philosophies, science, and, and medication, or, or medicine, mm -hmm. I should say, with how you treat people. How did you come across that decision or how did you how did you say look i need something more here yes well it was really interesting i talked a little bit about this in the book but not much when i first went into psychology and i was with different therapists and so forth typically many of them type into a tablet or they take notes but i just didn't feel like that was something i wanted to do the first time i see someone i take notes just because i have to get a lot of information but after that i wanted it to be more of a conversation they wanted them to come in. I didn't want, I didn't want to seem or appear like a clinician. And so I thought, well, if I do this, I'm really going to have to 
remember their story. I, I can't just go, well, hold on, let me check my notes. And as I was seeing probably hundreds and thousands of clients, I was noticing patterns. And I was thinking, wow, this person has the same health problem as psychological problem. At the time, I was working with a psychiatrist and I went to him and I said, I have discovered this amazing coincidence. And he said, what is that? And I said, people that have this suffer from that. And he said, you know, Denise, you really should go back and study the chakras. I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't even know how to spell it. So I went back to my computer and I thought, okay, I don't know how to spell this. So I did it the best that I could. I already and, pronounced it wrong. So, <laughs> well, and you know, the, the Chinese call it chi. So the, uh, yes, some people yes, call yes. it chi. Okay. So when we do Tai Chi and Qi Gong, we're talking about the same energies. And I was starting, so then I thought, you know, I really need to explore this. And so for now, probably for the last at least eight years, I've been studying meditation, uh, Reiki, hypnosis, because as a behavioralist, what, what does Eastern medicine offer so many people that on the, you know, the Western medicine we're, we're missing because we'd like to just take medicine. Typically, we'd like to just fix it. But unfortunately, it takes a little bit more than that. And so what I try to do, certainly I understand the importance of medicine. I mean, I've been in medicine for a long time, but we also need to incorporate these other talents and skills and abilities to incorporate so that the body, they, they call it, uh, the Chinese call it stays in the Tao, in the middle. What, what I find fascinating about that is in this, at least in Western society, in the sports world, when you talk or when you listen to some of the the Michael Jordans of the world or the Kobe Bryant's and basketball, they talk about there are other players that have the same physical skills that they do, but it's the mental aspect, which takes them right. to a whole other level. So it seems like we're comfortable with that in this part of the world. And yet I've also seen some of the documentaries, some things that you reference. I mean, like these shamans in the Himalayans, they will go out on a very cold night and take just a blanket with them. And they're up, I don't know, 30,000 feet or whatnot. And they're able to survive up there because of the mental disciplines that they have developed. So the, the, the point I'm making is like there is such a tighter connection between the mental and the spiritual and the physical connection that I think that we often appreciate here in the United States. And it seems like, well, it's, this is definitely the direction that you're going in your practice is to connect all those to help people deal with some of the problems that they're faced with. Yes. And what I have seen when I, when I work with professional athletes, they are either doing yoga, meditation, because what they do, whether they're playing football or basketball, very sympathetic. You know, they have to be very precise. They have to be accurate. They have a lot of information that they're processing. They have to be able to get to parasympathetic. You'll notice it when a kicker gets, before he kicks, a lot of times he'll take a deep breath and sort of let it out. He's trying to calm down before he has to do something that has, he has to be very precise. Those that are not practicing some of these better techniques are either having trouble with their temper smoking, drinking, if they can't do that because they're in athletics, spending, uh, you know, we see sex addiction, we see pornography. The body has to do something to balance. 
And obviously, when we're picking and choosing habits that are not so healthy for us, it's difficult to maintain a professional lifestyle or certainly be at peace with ourselves, our families, and and on the field or court. Absolutely. And, and I've often wondered, are the problems that a first world nation like us suffer from the same as maybe someone who lives in a poor part of the world? Because unfortunately, we're so worried about loss these days. We have so much, so many of us do. And we're, again, we're under assault from social media and just all these different inputs. I'm just curious what you see on an ongoing basis. Is it just simply the fear that people are suffering from? And is the fear worse than the, than the reality itself? I mean, what does that look like? Yes. And what happens with when we fear or worry, worry is a really good example here. The body doesn't understand. So let's think about this. Whatever's going on in the world doesn't matter what it is. The way the body knows how to respond to whatever's going on in the world is through the mind. The mind is almost like the translator or interpreter. When the mind is not healthy, everything sort of gets communicated with through a lens of fear, which is why someone will have a panic attack at the grocery store. And you might say, well, there's nothing that's going to harm them at the grocery store. But something that they've interpreted about going to the grocery store has set off that fight or flight. They may have said, oh, yeah, what happens at this or what, you know, we could have a fire or whatever. And because the body doesn't know what's real or imagined, it starts to respond as if it's real. And it can really cause over time, it can really manifest into a lot of problems. That's fascinating. With with fear. You know, of course, one of the popular guys today that you see on the Internet is Dr. Jordan Peterson. And I'd be curious your thoughts on this. He said that the majority of depression out there is a is because many people feel a sense that they are not in control and fear would be one of those things. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, and if we really think about this and and for a long time is there's really no such thing as control. We are going, the world is going to do what it does. And when we take these experiences, certainly bad decisions that we make, poor choices and all of that are the way the universe teaches us or God, if you're religious, you know, depending upon what sort of belief system that you have. Those experiences are meant for us to grow, learn, hopefully be better people and so forth. When we experience those and then we interpret those as shame, um, guilt and all of that, that sits in the body. That doesn't go through. We, we hold those. I had someone the other day, brand new, and I asked about something in her childhood. She's early, late forties and automatically she started to get tearful about it. And that tells me that that's still sitting in her body. But, you know, we have to, and it can be tough. And over time, this manifests as depression. It's almost like a bunch of really dark, negative emotions or experiences that we're just holding. So so, so you say it sits in the mind or it sits in the body, but obviously it sits in the mind, which the body holds. So right. take me 
take me from, are you treating, I know you, you have a holistic process that you go through. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about the services that you provide sure. in a little bit, but so, so give me a scenario. You, you referenced this, this one lady that came into your services. Want to take me through the process in, in short form, <laughs> in short form, what are kind of the steps that you go through? Someone has this within them. What are some of the steps that you take them through so to begin the healing process and to put them back into balance? Interestingly, a lot of people don't know, they can't connect why they're sad or why something that I just said causes them to have what they call a visceral reaction. And so when we're both not clear, they're not clear because they can't quite communicate it. And I'm not clear because I have no idea what this experience is bringing up for them. I have an index pile or, or, or stack of 42 sort of negative or dark emotions. For example, um, inferiority, abandonment, shame, whatever, insecurity, indecisiveness, stubborn. And I flip them up and I say, all I want you to do is tell me if this resonates with you, if you hold this or you don't. It's certainly something we're just sort of trying to understand. You and those are these become our cards. These are things that we struggle with in the body. And this gives me a really good under and I may say something like, what is abandonment? What did that bring up for you? And they, and they may go all the way back to childhood. Now I've got a little bit of better understanding as to how long this has been in the body and and what that emotion brought brought to the surface, which they may have never even connected before. But what happens when we have a lot of cards? So let's say I just showed you 40 and you had 30 of them. This becomes the lens of something brand new. So so a brand new experience comes to me and I go, no, I won't be good at that. And then I'll feel guilty because I'm not good. Okay. That caused me to, these cards become very powerful because they sort of, they sort of are almost like, again, the lens that we are interpreting new experiences. It's very important that we learn to clear these cards, which it, it sounds easy. Of course, it takes some some time and some processing, but they need to exit the body so that we no longer hold them. Their purpose is, is gone. We need to just learn from it and move forward, not hold them. It's interesting as you were talking about the abandonment issue years ago, I was having a conversation with a fellow and he was an orphan and he was adopted and whatnot and had some bad experience, whatnot, but he had this very, very keen sense this this very strong desire to find his birth parents and he had never met them and i knew his background and there were some real problems there as as you can imagine but it was a sense of abandonment i mean just kind of as you're talking right there i'm sure that but there has to be dozens or hundreds of different scenarios that you could would really have to flesh out with these cards yes And, and another one can be if the they've grown up with like an alcoholic dad or a mom that had some substance abuse, because what happens is we're growing up is we don't really know, we don't really get our footing or our foundation because it's so unstable. Or even if mom and dad are always arguing and there's no peace at the home, we we sort of grow up and not really have a good sense of who we are, what's appropriate, what's not. I see children of alcoholics really have, really struggle and never feel like they're loved because you know, apparently when we have an addiction, that's that's sort of the center of the home, you know, the alcohol or or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can, can somebody ever truly live in balance? Well, I certainly 
do my best, but I, I can tell you it's a lot of work. And how I know I'm out of balance is by how I'm acting. For example, if my phone rings, I go, who could that be? Okay, I'm not in a good place. And I've gotten better over the years. I do a lot of my own work because I feel like I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. I've gotten better over the years to notice that I'm starting to get out of balance before I start to do something I will regret, as in give an opinion when maybe it was not asked for or snap at someone when I should handle it a little bit better or when I'm going to eat a little bit more just because I'm hungry or I'm stressed. So I've learned to sort of manage it much better over the years, but it takes a lot of work. Well, again, you, you are certainly slender, and I have been a, a stress eater for for quite some time. Fortunately, I've dropped a lot of weight and, and man, doing a better job of managing that. But when I, back when I was trading a lot online, uh, whenever something didn't go so well, boy, I tell you what, I had to write to the refrigerator. So I can see that as being a physical manifestation of something that's not going right there, because I, I can attest to that. I want to talk yes. a little bit. Want to talk a little bit about the specific services that you provide. And I'm on your website right now. It's Denise Seanwald, LLC. And underneath your services, you deal with depression, anxiety, you do premarital counseling, grief, hospice and illness, weight loss, bipolar disorder, anger management, traveling, uh, and then you have traveling options, domestic abuse and family therapy. So so when somebody comes to you and, and you are figuring out the issues that they're dealing with, what does an ongoing process or look like with you? How typically how long do you meet with them? Do you meet with them in person? Do you meet with them virtually? What does that look like, Denise? Well, I, one of the things I wanted to just um go back to is our my traveling options. Most therapists in Florida are licensed only in the state. But way back when I took a national license. So I am able to see people from California and so forth, certainly travel if need be. If someone is in hospice, obviously that would require me to travel. So that's where the traveling options come. When I evaluate someone, it really has to be a good fit. I had someone call me yesterday and she said, I need you to refer me. They were out of town to a good therapist that took their insurance. And I said, well, a good therapist is somebody you have a good relationship with, a connection. Certainly, once I evaluate, it's fairly clear to me early on where we need to start, but it also needs to be something that this person's motivated to change. It needs to be a good, they need to feel comfortable with me. Certainly if not, it just doesn't really progress. And, and then they probably either should move on to someone else. And certainly my goal is that they get help and healing. Does I don't have to do it all. I do also coaching. A lot of people really would prefer not to go to a therapist but to do some coaching packages. So I, I also will do that. Um, with the hospice and, and illness, it, you know, that's sort of using both of my licenses together, helping clients psychologically, understanding what their medications are, their treatment and all that, because I also have that background. I did want to say one more thing about when you went to stress eating. The reason the body goes to usually sugar and carbs when we stress eat is because the mind becomes very overactive when we're stressed. We start overthinking. And in order to for the mind to be able to perform at that level, it needs sugar and carbs. So that's just a little connection that most of us don't realize. 
Okay, so so I'll, I'll make sure that the Snickers bars are, or that my wife stops buying the Snickers bars. <laughs> exactly. So what's a replacement for that then? Bananas? So, well, what what we should be able to do if we're really practicing our self-care and so forth is things will get stressful and we're able to sort of, I wouldn't say be at peace with it, but we'll go, all right, so maybe this is something I should handle tomorrow. Or maybe I'll call and, and get some clarity on what this person wants. If the person really, let's say, is upset and doesn't want to, you know, wants to leave or doesn't want to have any important relationship, we accept that. We don't interpret that as shame or I'm not a good person and and so forth. It's it's interesting. You mentioned you call somebody. I have a friend, good buddy of mine. His name's Doug Wassey. He lives in Cincinnati. And we have kind of been accountability partners for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. We talk every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And I actually got that from a a psychologist friend of mine back in Cincinnati who it was, it was interesting. We were, I'm getting a bit off topic here, but I I just be a little transparent share here is I was at some conference and I I knew this, this uh, counselor, this psychologist friend of mine, and he said, it's kind of like off the cuff or just a side comment. He says, you know, if every guy had one or two friends, he could be rock bottom honest with, he goes, I'd be out of a job. And I thought that that was really fascinating, but I came across, uh, then uh, developed this relationship with Doug. And so we, we do, we talk about our stuff typically every Wednesday morning. If you know the holidays are, and then we got off offload our junk and it's, it's been just been a wonderful relationship. And so I can attest to the fact that that's a great, uh, that's a great tool, if you will. Yes. One of many. I mean, there's so many that I, I go to and depending upon how I feel will determine which one I go to. Share, share with me, come back to the coaching aspect, because that, of course, has become another big industry in and of itself for a lot of different topics and issues. How does that differ typically from therapy sessions? Is it just like somebody needs a tune up or needs somebody as a as a as a uh, touchstone? What, what does that look like? Well, and certainly I would say part of counseling and therapy would incorporate into coaching. But what I do with coaching, when someone comes into me for therapy, it's mostly diagnosing, giving them tools and so forth. But for coaching, I give them a lot of homework. Let's do a deep dive into why you're holding on to this abandonment for 30 years. And it takes a lot of, it's customized, obviously, for me. And in, it's a package. It's not covered by insurance. But you really can get a lot of insight more so than just going to someone every other week for an hour and saying, you know, how, how are the kids? How's your husband? How's your job? It's a little bit more sort of focus on a particular area of life that we're struggling in. I have also, I try not to just do things. I also experience them. I've had a coach. Um, I've also spent some time with a shaman. I do a lot of energy work. And so I try not to just refer or recommend something that I haven't done because I want to make sure that the experience is worthwhile. And you're modeling the behavior that you're asking your, your patients and your, 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 yes. your, your clients to, uh, to follow and whatnot. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. Well, if somebody wants to know more about your services, where do they go? And obviously we're going to put this in all the show notes and in the introduction when we, uh, we edit this, but where, where should they go? Well, certainly my website, denishonewall.com. Under the tab that says insights, you can read a lot about these different disorders. If, if you're just curious to read about people pleasing and, and so forth. If you would like to contact me directly, my cell phone is on there. I answer all my own calls. 
I like to be the sort of the first person that people talk to and get a good understanding of what people want rather than it going through someone else and, and they're getting lost. Um, my clients have direct access to me. You can schedule an appointment online or call me directly. Self-scheduling is actually nice to see what's available. I see clients on weekends, evenings, depending upon their schedule. Well, I can't let you go before you give us a couple of tips. You, you've okay. already done that kind of throughout the talk here, but are there a couple of specific tips? We're into a new year. It's 2023. We got a, let's see, we, we have Ukraine. There's a war in Ukraine between Russia. We got, you know, financial issues and inflation and we see all this gobbledygook on the news and whatnot. So there's going to be a lot of stressed people out there. Give us a couple of tips, if you will, if you, what you would recommend for us to manage kind of our stress levels going forward. I have lots of them, but I'll just give you a few. One of them is, is when there's a time, a season where there's a lot of energy, Christmas, the holidays, a wedding, even, even a, a funeral, where emotions are heightened, we have to incorporate extra self-care if we're going through a trauma or something very difficult in our life. What does that self-care look like, if I may Care. ask? And, and so what I may say is works well for me, you might say, okay, I would never do that. And this is what we have to explore. It could be as simple as a, a hot bath. It could be time sitting out and, and walking in nature. It could be doing our favorite sport. For some people, it's gardening and painting, reading a book. It's some time that we have to, again, get into our parasympathetic and restore, massage. It, and people will say, I don't have Great the money point. to do all of that. But, you know, we do have, and people say, I don't have time. Absolutely. You got to make time. That's you got to incorporate, incorporate that into your schedule. That would be the most. The second one is if you're finding that any opportunity that you have, you're releasing frustration. You're at the grocery counter and you're upset about something and you're noticing that you're just not in a good place. It's time to talk to a therapist or just to, and people say, well, I don't need therapy. You might not. You might just need maybe one session to get back on track. But if you're constantly irritable, annoyed, or irritated, annoyed, uh, frustrated, you can tell by how you're acting or maybe your habits, your bad habits are, are sort of getting magnified. Consider talking to a therapist. I Those do. are great tips. <laughs> Those are great tips. I appreciate that very much, Denise. And again, Welcome. to my listeners, thank you for tuning in. And if you want a great read, pick up Denise's book. It's called Healing Your Body by Mastering Your Mind. It's written in 2020, so it's it's very uh, it's, it's very prescient right now, going in, again into uh, 2023. Denise, it's been a pleasure having you on the Sarasota Stories podcast. Let's do it again. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. You betcha. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.